Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. We're back, kind of. As theaters start to reopen, this podcast is taking a small step back into production, starting with some physically distanced radio drama. But by the indie theater stalwarts of Gideon Productions, now in the guise of Gideon Media. I'll let them explain the difference and introduce themselves. Take a listen. Welcome back, returning guests, and it's ah, it's it's nice to have returning guests after uh, this whole quarantine malarkey. As I'm trying to open up doing uh, go see a show podcasts again, um, we're we're kind of taking a tepid step in with uh, <laughs> audio plays, uh, but that's you know that's my jam anyway. So please tell me who you are on the mic and uh, what you uh, what you do with Gideon Productions. We'll start with Sean. Sure. Uh, I'm Sean Williams. I am the executive producer for Gideon Productions and Gideon Media. Jordana. Hi, I'm Jordana Williams, and I mainly direct the actors. And Mac. Uh, I'm Mac Rogers. I'm uh, the co-founder of Gideon Media uh, with Sean Williams. Uh, uh, and also, I guess, suppose I continue to be a producer of Gideon Productions. My main uh, uh, position with Gideon Media is to write uh, uh, most of the scripts, although uh, as we move forward, not all. And uh, with this current slate of podcasts, very much not all uh, in a very striking way. Uh, but yeah, mostly I do the writing. Dig it. And so can we start there, actually, that whole like, wait a minute, Gideon Media, Gideon Productions? What? Yeah. Uh, we haven't had Gideon Media on, but we've, of course, had Gideon Productions on with Go See a Show. Uh, talk to us about what what is Gideon Media? Um, so Gideon Productions and Gideon Media are two slightly different organizations because Gideon Productions uh, exists as a nonprofit and um, we have a different financial model with Gideon Productions, which is that we raise enough money to just drive the company into the ground. So true and, indie theater. Uh, yeah, I get you. <laughs> Yes, we tried to raise enough money to spend all of our money and survive. Uh, Gideon Media is actually a for-profit company with a slightly different model where we are developing shows that theoretically will exist um, primarily as audio drama um, uh, that, that, that will be released as podcasts. And then um, with an eye toward the possibility of moving to other medium, but or media, but uh, uh, primarily we are specifically an audio drama company. So we um, function as a production company that makes shows for other people and they hire us and pay us to do that. And then with the money that the company makes, we make our own shows. So it was just a, it's a business difference between the two companies, but the board of Gideon Productions actually voted to allow the identity to remain as the business model shifted. So Gideon Media and Gideon Productions are largely the same thing. In terms of like aesthetics and themes and all that, like where our personality is very much the same, um, the, but, um, but yeah, the business and, and the medium has changed. Yeah, it's cool that you have that, um, you know, way to kind of in, I, not to use this as a negative word, but commercialized in right. some ways, this work that you have been, this fabulous work that you've been doing for years. And that seems to be uh, the, the movement that's happened now, correct? Like, because I'm hearing that uh, you guys are taking some of Mac's award-winning shows and throwing them up into the audio realm. Uh, not only that, but also award-winning shows from 
another playwright that we've all heard of. So uh, I want, I would love for to hear you introduce us to what the new world of Gibeon Media is going to present. And then I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. But uh, what is that new world that we're facing as we head into summer 2021? Well, it's actually, it's very thematically pleasing in a way to be like, you know, particularly for something like uh, Gosia's show, because this is very much you know, more than Steal the Stars, which was our sort of our maiden voyage as an audio company that we made with a specific, you know, co-production arrangement with uh, Macmillan Audio. This sort of feels very much like the bridge season between Gideon Productions and Gideon Media, uh, between theater and audio in a lot of ways. Um, uh, the biggest, most sort of eye-catching way in which that's happening is that we are adapting, uh, we've overseen the, uh, the adaptation to the podcast form of two legendary plays by the playwright Wallace Shawn, The Designated Mourner and Grasses of a Thousand Colors. Now, Wallace Shawn is uh, principally known to most people um, as the guy who said, inconceivable in The Princess Bride, and he's, and he's everyone's favorite teacher from Clueless. And probably a lot of people now know him best as a recurring character from um, uh, Young Sheldon. He's a, he's a, I haven't actually seen it, but I know he's a recurring character on, on Young Sheldon or the dinosaur from Toy Story. But he himself thinks of himself so more, so more as you know, someone who does the... Who, um, does jobbing actor roles in order to uh, support the playwriting. And that's sort of like, we you know what's closest to his heart. Uh, and uh, these two plays are extraordinary. The Designated Mourner um, uh, was first published in the late nineties. I came across it uh, in the graduate library in my college, read it, it's a, uh, felt deeply in love with it. Uh, got to see it a couple years later in New York when they did a production of it in 2000. Uh, uh, at a men's club uh, downtown that was just about to close. Andre Gregory, uh, Wally's legendary co-star from My Dinner with Andre, directed it. Uh, uh, and the other two, act uh, Wally played the lead role of Jack, this sort of intellectual going into a deep decline. Uh, Wally's uh, uh, longtime girlfriend, live-in partner, Deborah Eisenberg, who is a celebrated uh, short story fiction writer, uh, played the, uh, the, uh, the Jack's wife, Judy, uh, in the show. And then Larry Pine, a wonderful character actor who um, uh, has worked with Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory many times and uh, is just one of those familiar faces from being a character actor, uh, took on the third role of um, Howard. They brought those plays back many years later for a production at the Public Theater. But uh, uh, Wally's always hoped to find another way that they would live on. And uh, we happened to share an agent. And our, when Wally started bringing up his interest in bringing this to podcasts, the agent, not knowing that we're super fans, connected us with him. And, um, you know, we, we hit it off right away. Uh, uh, and we uh, were able to go into production uh, uh, last summer, adapting both of these plays. The second play, Grasses of a Thousand Colors, is also retaining uh, its entire theater team. I mean, other than, of course, the members that wouldn't be applicable, like scenic design. Uh, Wally is once again playing the lead role uh, and the uh, American cast of Jennifer Tilly, Julie Haggerty, and Emily Cass McDonald are all returning under Andre Gregory's direction. And sort of one of the pivotal artists who's like less of a marquee name, but who is really crucial to how great these shows sounded on stage and how great they sound in the podcast medium 
uh, is um, uh, the sound designer Bruce Odland, who uh, uh, who created the whole soundscape for both of these as plays, and has transposed that soundscape into the podcast form. You know, creating an enveloping environmental uh, sort of sound design for it. So I, it's uh, you know, it's it's a there's a wonderful way in which it's retaining a lot of how these plays feel felt in, as theatrical experiences but are being recreated in a way that Wally particularly is intrigued by because he knows these plays are tough these are dense uh, 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 somewhat abstract plays comprised entirely of direct address monologues that required in their former life uh, for people to be able to find three and a half hours of time to go to a theater and then, you know, uh, uh, watch the plays and then go all the way home afterwards. Wally has said many times how intrigued he is by people being able to take on these plays in the doses that they can handle uh, uh, in the podcast form and without that travel aspect. So that right off the bat is a um, is a big, interesting way in which this bridging theater one of the other of the remaining five pieces, uh, one of them, the, the other three are all written by me and directed by Jordana. And uh, the um, uh, one of them is called God of Obsidian, which is based on a play that Gideon Productions took to the Cincinnati Fringe Festival uh, uh, to a lot of acclaim there and then brought it back to New York. Uh, uh, did we do a go see a show after God of Obsidian? I can't remember. Sadly, okay. no. Uh, Just after ligature marks, that's the one ligature piece that you taken right. away that you brought back that I got to see. Yeah. But once again, like Designated Morning Grasses of a Thousand Colors, we're retaining. You know, Jordana directed the stage production, directed the audio. Becky Comtois and I are both uh, uh, reprising our roles uh, um, and the main character. So there's definitely a both a looking back and looking forward aspect to this season. Sean, you wanted to jump on that too. Oh, um, mostly I just wanted to say that it's been that the Wally shows were really interesting because we have talked to a lot of people who've developed shows in other media that were then deciding that they want to do shows in audio, particularly over this last year, because all film, TV and theater shut down. And because we have a reputation for um, doing good audio, we uh, basically every single network and production company at some point has talked to us and Wally's shows felt uniquely suited to audio in a way that all of these other shows really didn't when someone comes in and they've got a, a TV show and they're saying like how can we make this an audio um and they always say the same thing which is like how do you guys um overcome the lack of visuals how do you and and we and we always have this response where we're like, I mean, have you read a novel? Like, there's no, yeah. like, it's not something to overcome. Right. It's something to use. Each medium is different. And yeah. Wally's shows, I uh, Bruce Odlin, who's the um, designer, and I got to be very very close, and we were just marveling all the time at the fact that these shows, if anything, work better as audio than they do in the theater because you really can swim in the density and it's all direct address. It's all storytelling directly to us um, with a couple of scenes that are cut in. And so it was like the, the, the translation was so natural. And it seems like that translation, however, would be a, a, at least if, even if not as even if it not difficult, would be a very different 
sort of thing to do with a play like God of Obsidian and with, uh, or actually, I think the play that I'm listening to now, I heard the first couple episodes of Give Me Away that was written expressly for audio. But uh, Jordana, can you tell me a little bit about God of Obsidian? Like how, how did you translate it? Did you and Mac work together to get rid of the visual components? Yeah, I mean, it was in a way, uh, it was not that difficult to to move because it started out as a fringe show, um, which in case anyone has not done or experienced a fringe show, that means, you know, you want your setup to be somewhere between five and 15 minutes. So, um, so our set was pretty simple and representational. There's a bridge that is like a rickety bridge that is sort of the, uh, the central physical thing here. And actually we were able to create that so much better with sound than just like, we, there was just a sort of suggestive like ropes attached to some weighted thingies that we had that looked very cool. Um, but you feel a whole lot more like they're on a real bridge just hearing like really specific sound design. Um, and then there was another physical item, which is sort of a Blackbeard's chest type thing, um, because it's a it's a it's a dark fairy tale. So there was this other central chest with mysterious items inside it. So that it was um, when you have stuff hidden, something is put away, and you've got to remember that it's in there. That was the only thing that, that Mac I think took a little bit of finessing is kind of how do you remind people that this object exists and we're not sure what's inside it. So there was like a, a little bit of finessing about reminding people um, uh, that that existed and, and how they ought to think about it. Did you achieve it via dialogue or via sounds? Uh, both. Okay. Both, always both. Can I can I um, jump in with a couple of, of comments on the on the previous stuff? Please do. Great. Um, I think there it was a Roger Ebert review of the Designated Mourner. I think the film version um, where he said this would almost work better as an audio play. Like, <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, and then the other thing about um, about the switch in media is that. Um, it's so much more accessible and weirdly like you think of this as like a more commercial thing but in a way it feels a lot more moral than certain aspects of indie theater because it used to be like we were paying actors as much as we could but it was it was pretty bad and then a lot of your money goes into real estate yep. and then you need people to pay and go somewhere and work it around their schedule to get there, right? So you're just, you're asking a lot and you're not giving as much as you wish you could ever. Um, and in this medium, we are much more responsive to our audience particular needs, like any sort of accessibility issues are, are pretty much uh, done away with. Um, their flexibility around schedule. We compensate our actors a lot better and can be more flexible around their schedules. Um, and we can offer the shows totally free. Right now, we're not even doing ads on anything. So we're, we're like, and, and that is paid for by corporate work that we do. So in terms of like where the money comes from and when it, where it goes to, it actually feels a lot more morally comfortable in some ways than indie theater, even though we did the best we could. Um, right, and, and that's something that I, I know all of us in indie theater are struggling with uh, and are gonna continue to struggle with as we try to get back into spaces uh, and many of 
of which we don't have any more spaces that have spaces have disappeared. Um, yeah. That feels like a whole other conversation. I want to keep this about, <laughs> yeah. but, thank yeah, you, yeah. but thank you for bringing it up because it's so important to what we do, like trying to make sure that we take care of not only ourselves and the art, but also the people that we work with and feeling like we yeah. are not just asking for something for nothing. Um, but this, uh, you know, this whole shutdown thing that you, you've kind of led into that for me, Jordana, as well. Like, you all had Steal the Stars going long before this started. And so like Gideon had, Gideon had been doing the audio stuff. You seemed almost like primed to step into this space. Yeah. Whereas uh, you had, as you mentioned, all these people calling y'all saying like, how do we do this <laughs> when, when we all couldn't be physically together? So uh, was this turn into doing stuff uh, like the, the Wally Shawn stuff, doing all of uh, these three, three new Mac or three new to radio Mac pieces, uh, was that already going or was this kind of a, okay, if this is the brave new world that we're in, we should probably lean into yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We did a show um, for Reflector Entertainment called Out of Sight. And that was just a, a corporate job that we really loved. And we cast all of a, a whole bunch of New York indie actors in it. Um, uh, Jorge Cordova and Raina de Corsi were the two main leads in the show. Um, all these amazing off-Broadway and and Broadway people. And we were supposed to do also do season two and three. And we finished- And we, I would say we wrapped recording, we, we wrapped production on that February, I February, think? Yeah. yeah. So February like of 2020. 2020. Oh, wow. And, um, and so when the pandemic happened, I remember I sent an email to all of our clients that we were in negotiations with. And I said, it's entirely possible that we will not be able to open our studio until the end of May. Like, that was the email <laughs> I sent like on March 20th or something. Wow. And, um, and the truth is, it's what we pivoted very quickly to realizing that there was the technology existed for us to record everybody remotely. And it just required overhead on our part. And so um, some of the other corporate uh, 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 jobs we have, almost all of which have not been released yet, but um, they were for much larger companies than Reflector. And we loved that job and wanted so badly to do season two and three but we had to buy equipment for every actor and ship it out. And we needed more personnel on the call because it, there's the tracking is a lot more complicated with remote recording. Right. So it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole nother thing. I think a lot of people don't realize just how much goes into record. It's, it sounds so simple and it, it is in some ways like, put a mic in front of you and record yourself. But when you, all of those different recordings from all those different spaces need to sound like they're all of the same world, right. that becomes a very, very different, and, and, and be, taking control and guiding it from the get-go is so key. Even more than that, there is a way that we work that is different than, um, because we create our audio drama the same way we create our live theater drama. So there's a rehearsal process, which is very often done in session. And then Jordana works with the actors. And when we are in the studio, everyone is in the same room. I throw up a whole bunch of different mics so that we are capturing the performances in different locations in different um, uh, ways. And then the actors will move around the space 
or if they are, you know, stuck in the trunk of a car, we will put them in, we will configure the studio. Um, in Steal the Stars, there were a lot of bedroom scenes and we threw a mattress on the ground and I dropped mics hanging from the ceiling. And they, you know, the, the couple was face to face and I had mics bouncing because the way things sound is, needs to be captured as close as possible to what they were. And so we don't do what voiceover in animation does, where they hire an actor, the actor gets their side, they do each line a dozen times or 15 times. What happens is I throw up all of the mics, I open up all the channels and we do the whole scene. And then when it comes to editing, very often Jordana Mack and I pick the scene that worked and with maybe one or two pick yeah. offs from something else. Might, yeah. And and I'll go through and I'll 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 take out room noise or something or I'll move lines slightly or if they started again in the middle of the line I can edit that out. Whereas with remote recording, everybody is recording to their own track. Their own track comes in and then everything has to be lined up and then we have to pick different parts that aren't they aren't lined up. I'm sorry, I'm making hand gestures for an audio drama, but they're not <laughs> lined up horizontally. They're lined up vertically. So you take right. a ta you do a take at minute five, and instead of it being minute five on track B, it's minute 21 still on track A. And so the personnel res uh, responsibilities are enormous. We have to have a whole team of people to put these things together, um, and we cannot and naming files and like it's yeah it's a whole it's a whole thing but i mean like what's amazing is how well it's worked um like it, it's like the person hours are huge but like it works and also we've been able to work with actors all over right. the country um which is which is phenomenal and sometimes if like if you can't get everybody in the scene together you can record the one person separately and, and slot them in later um so i will say it does i feel like it does sound different when you have theater people doing radio plays versus just the radio play because i you know i'm an audio nerd i listen to this stuff all the time uh anytime i'm doing anything that requires uh you know only half my attention uh which is you know like cooking dinner every night for the kids or right. doing the dishes or taking out the garden I'm outside watering the plants. There's always a podcast going right. And I feel like you can always hear the difference between like something like a group like Gideon and everyone else. So uh, it, if, if all that stuff feels like a ton of work, at least there's one guy out there, I promise, who notices <laughs> that it sounds so much better. It's also really nice because Mac and Jordana have developed a shorthand and a language and Mac and Jordana know how to create the full experience and know how to tr how to get actors to translate work and then there's also the shortcut that we cheat and use the actors that we've been using for years and years i will say listening to uh starting up on give me away i'm like i know that voice i know that voice i know yeah okay yeah i know that voice too yeah oh, like, there's nat i know that that's nat um <laughs> and that's and that's actually like a an, a fun little commonality like with us and like wally's team is that they have a a core of people who've worked together for a really long time um and like i you know not to say that we are the same as them i'm, not, <laughs> I'm like um but but there is that that thing of like um where 
uh, it helps. It helps to feel a little bit like family. And I'm, I'm always conscious of trying to grow the family. So, um, so I try to be bringing some people in all the time, but also like keep, uh, some of the core, uh, the core players because we all, you know, I can, uh, I can run a play, uh, through any number of them. If, uh, speaking of plays and any of these wonderful people on them and how they work, I would love to put you on the spot for a quick moment, Mac, and, uh, give us a little playwriting masterclass because listening to the first 20 minutes of, um, give me away. I was just like, holy cow, we've covered so much ground, so much ground. <laughs> and it's just, it's shocking how economical it is, but also clear. And I'm just wondering if you could give us uh, a little bit of a, a taste of how Mac Rogers does that sort of magic. <laughs> a big part of it is getting a lot more comfortable writing for audio. Um, a big part of it is uh, trusting that format because um, my what, what I tended to find in indie theater was that I got very frustrated both with watching shows and with producing shows that had a number of fast scene changes that um, uh, but by and large um, uh, unless you sort of organically worked that into the into the sort of like a grammar of what was happening on stage almost in such a way that you could do it in front of audience members um, I tended to find it was very frustrating to do a short scene, have the lights go out, people scurrying around and set up the next one, uh, particularly because in indie theater, you know, we tend not to have running crews, we tend not to have wings, we tend not to have, you know, stuff that we can fly in. All of the shortcuts that big time theater uses um, are not available in, you know, the crane or the brick or whatever. So my adjustment, because I, I tended to think that what I didn't like that and I didn't think that worked, I tended to lean very hard on long scenes of steadily escalating tension. Um, I thought that like contrary to what you would think about people's attention spans, that long scenes actually worked better on stage because you could, uh, as long as the tension was always going up incrementally, uh, uh, and as long as you were sort of constantly sort of introducing a little new wrinkle to what was going on uh, uh, on stage, um, you know, uh, and, and, and I tended to, um, build uh, past a certain point after Universal Robots, which was an enormously difficult play. All the productions that have been done of that, it's just been nightmarish figuring out how to make the transitions work. Um, plays where I had the benefit of hindsight from that, they were all built around long set pieces. Um, so my inclination was to bring that with me into audio um because i knew that that worked and because i knew that audio is kind of a cousin art form to theater um you know a lot of the plays on british you know radio are simply adaptations of plays and a lot of times plays which are very driven by dialogue and words um uh you know can, can transpose quite easily to the audio format but you know, and so I'd written several shows. I, you know, I, I did the message and life after with uh, GE and Panoply before going into Seal the Stars. And particularly on life after, that was a really fascinating experience because the director was named John Dryden and he had worked in um, BBC, he, he had a company called Goldhawk and their whole job is to supply radio drama to, to uh, BBC Radio 3 and 4 and now BBC Sounds. Um, and I, I learned a lot of lessons from him 
I would turn in drafts of life after and you would look at it and go, no, this just simply won't work on audio. Uh, uh, lessons that I thought I was taking from theater weren't working. I set nearly all of the scenes in life after inside the FBI offices, thinking ludicrously that one location would be easier because one location is easier on stage. The only way the Honeycomb Trilogy worked is because the whole thing was in the same living room. The Honeycomb Trilogy would have been impossible without that. But that lesson doesn't necessarily pour it over neatly into audio. Right. And John Dryden's <laughs> point was every location has a different kind of um, room tone and a different kind of sonic feeling in your ears. And the, the simile that he used was, if you set every single scene with the same kind of room tone, it's like being forced to sleep on the same side of your body all night long without being able to turn over. It eventually starts to wear on the ear in the way you need new textures. You need to give the ear new experiences. Um, and so uh, that was hard. For, it, was, it was a hard lesson to swallow because it was really a new way of working. But I took it into Steel the Stars because initially Steel the Stars was mostly about underground base, underground base, underground base. So having learned that lesson from John and having learned that and now knowing it before I got into the serious writing, I was like, okay, now that I've outlined a thing that's almost totally in an underground base, how can I reimagine it to get people into other kinds of rooms? And particularly, how can I get people outdoors? A huge influence on the back half of the story was <laughs> how can a huge chunk of the final third of the series take place outside? because we've had people inside so much, let's give them something new. And in the process of doing that, let's give them a feeling of stakes escalation because now we're in this whole new place. It's like moving up to a new level in a video game. Right. With Give Me Away, I think because of Steal the Stars, I had the confidence to push that even further. With the first, normally, episode two is almost like the first episode of a story. Like, you know, the main character goes, the, the, you know, the, the character of destiny goes into the new place and starts having like the training that the main character usually has at the beginning of a story. But I actually wanted to spend some time with this character in, in, uh, before that stuff started. I'm always interested in who these people are before the conventional part of the story starts happening. Um, so I wanted to have the idea of like, what, what would it be like of a global, paradigm shift was happening at the periphery of someone's awareness because their own life is falling apart. And it gradually gets more and more and more important as the story goes along until the two strands meet. But that meant covering an enormous amount of ground in a single episode in a way that's not normal. It's not a scene and there's a steady building. Uh, uh, so, but what I had learned is that my colleagues are very talented. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, um, that, like for example, Bart Fast. I gave a shout out to Bruce Odland on the on the Wally shows. Bart Fastbender, our sound designer. I know after uh, Steal the Stars that he can create a lot of different kinds of audio environments. I know that Jordana is very good at at quickly and comprehensively giving the actors a set of given circumstances for every scene that can that can quickly ground them in a whole new context that they don't need to just steadily build in one cause they can jump from one to another. And I know that Sean, you know, who's playing the protagonist character who's going to be in every one of those scenes would had been working with me long enough that he would be able to do those time jumps with his character without getting freaked out, without going, wait, oh my, this next scene is two months after the one before? Wait, I, I need to know everything. I need to know everything that's been happening to my character this whole time. Sean and I have the shorthand where he can basically say, okay, I can kind of see what's been happening to this guy for these two months. I kind of know how to jump into the next place. So it really was not so much um, um, a set, uh, to answer your question, it really wasn't so much a set of techniques so much as trust that things could happen. I have just never had the trust that I could go, 
Now we jump forward two and a half months and suddenly we're on an ice cream stand by the side of the road. Right. And now suddenly we're on a hike through the desert. That always just seemed like, I feel like I'm taxing everyone to their limit. That just won't be possible. Knowing that it is possible, it just made me, it, it basically, it's more a case of having a lot more faith that, that, you know, trust in the audio format, trust in my colleagues, and thereby a willingness to push the storytelling in such a way that we could do something unique, that we could start an audio drama story in a way that I'd never heard one started before in that more montage feeling. But there's, there's a counterbalance to the trust and faith, which is also fear. Um, and that is, um, there's so much out there, right? Like people will give you a shot but they won't give you a very long, like if you bore somebody at all in the first episode, they don't care about these people yet, right? So like there is, there. I feel like there is a slight fear motive beneath all of this trust of like, we need to deliver information, character, texture with utter precision um, and earn somebody coming back for episode two. Later on in the season, once there's a different level of investment, you can play around and explore things uh, a little more fully because people are hungry for that. Um, but in episode one, you sort of need to reassure somebody you're in good hands, we value your time, and we're gonna use it well. <laughs> because they haven't paid. They haven't paid a dime. <laughs> it's so easy to quit listening to a podcast because there's no, you can't even get hook people with the sunk costs fallacy. They haven't paid for it. Right. So they get, people will drop a podcast like it's nothing. So keeping people from episode to episode is, is a really tricky business. And as Jordana is quite correct, episode one is the most important one for doing that. And. And like, and as a, a Cretan who who listens to a lot of like uh, nonfiction podcasts at like one point five speed, like it, it is a weird sort of pride point for me that like one time I I had my podcatcher on one point five when I uh, w when one of our episodes came on and it was like unlistenable and I was like that is because we pace with great intention <laughs> like amazing so speaking of all this great content that y'all are giving away for free um i okay just give me the quick what's what's the what are the five pieces one more time what should people be looking for and what dates and then i have one more question. okay what we do in addition to the two wallace sean shows that's the designated mourner and grasses of a thousand colors which is a really sort of twisted fairy tale uh, a type story about a sort of a, a global illness and a rapidly approaching apocalypse and the wealthy people who are able to insulate themselves from it. Uh, and then- Boy, that doesn't sound pressing right. or like appropriate for the moment while at all. these two shows, it's amazing. They have been developed over the last couple of decades and they feel like they were written a couple of weeks ago. Both of them do. Um, yeah. The uh, and then God of Obsidian, which is which has an interesting parallel with uh, Grasses of a Thousand Colors, and that it takes a fairy tale format to explore a dark, real feeling thing. In this case, a gaslighting, psychologically manipulative relationship. Then there's uh, Give Me Away, which is the story of an alien spaceship crashing on the Earth, where all of the aliens inside are are actually prisoners who have been uploaded into a really painful, uh, imprisoning main, mainframe. Their consciousness has been uploaded to a mainframe. The only way to liberate these political prisoners, these dissidents, is to take them out one by one and, and plant them into a human mind, which they will then share with the human host for the rest of that human host's life. So it's like, a, it's like a consensual body snatchers. 
And you need, to, in order to recruit the kind of people who would do that, you need to find the kind of people who could make that kind of sacrifice, give up their privacy to save someone from a hellish prison, but not only someone who could do that on the spur of the moment, but someone who could handle that relationship and that loss of privacy for the rest of their lives. What kind of person would sign up for that? And the character Sean plays, Graham Shapiro, is a, is a, a man who's found himself very directionless at midlife following his divorce, his children being grown, who decides to sign up for this process and like learns what it's all about. And then The Earth Moves is kind of weird. It's weird to say after you've listened to it, but it's kind of the fun one of the season. It's a, it, it's a really <laughs> okay. dark comedy about a guy, uh, sort of a schlubby loser <laughs> named Leo, who calls in to an, uh, kind of an insult comic radio show run by this guy named Brad Zip, who likes to, people call in and he makes fun of them. And, uh, and it's and but but Leo has a sort of uh, a prophetic message that he wants to share, uh, uh, and it's a real the, the two parts are are comprised two real time half hour uh, of a full hour conversation between these two men that gets more and more outlandish and terrifying as it goes along. Uh, it's probably the show with the most laughs of the despite some of his subject matter of of the season, and it plays very much off of the. Um, uh, of the sort of unique comic rapport of the two actors who appear in it, who've both done a lot of indie theater in the past, Abe Goldfarb and Brian Silliman. Uh, Abe Goldfarb, you've actually even had the original story idea for it. They have a longstanding rapport and we're, Mac, we're really taking advantage of that. So that's the description yeah, of the show. I was gonna, I mean, I was laughing pretty hard listening to Give Me Away. Uh, so oh, good. Well, there's, good. Some, there's some good stuff in there too. Um, and these are all rolling out over the summer, right? That is correct. If you go to Gideon-Media.com, all of the release dates are laid out in detail there. Uh, but uh, the, the, all episodes of The Designated Mourner will be dropping Friday, June 25th. Oh, wow. And this, this podcast may or may not be dropping at like the day before that. So hopefully that's how this will work. So. If it's the 25th or later, you can listen right now. Woo! All right. Yeah. Um, and so I did have one more question, though, and I, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. I will I'll cut it. I'll excise it from the interview. Um, but... What, uh, we don't know when any of us will really be back on stage, but are there, are there rumblings in the Gideon Productions brain, uh, like on your, your Discord chat? Like, are y'all talking about getting back on stage? What's the deal? I mean, I think we're, we're always, um, I mean, it's, it's been a really interesting path that we've taken where, um, and you know what? I'm going to answer this with full transparency. Mac and I and Jordana and our friend Dan and a couple of other actors, we did a show in the fall of, of 2000 uh, that we started putting together in late 1999. And uh, we had a total of about 250, 260 people see it over the four-week run. Then we produced theater for 18 years had various levels of success, won awards, New York Times critics picks, huge celebrated productions, small productions that were also celebrated, cult following, blah, blah, blah. We, our final live theater show was a show we did in 2018 at The Brick. And by the end of the uh, three week run, we had had about 260 people see it. So there is an aspect to this where we have like raised and lost hundreds, thousands of dollars over 18 years. And, 
And there, there is, I, I was talking to Mike Daisy a couple of days ago about the possibility of him doing a podcast, which I think would be amazing. And he had that entire show about how the American theater has failed us. And there was an aspect of it where we got to the end of that show and we're just sort of like, there's this whole audio industry where we we don't instead of paying our actors a thousand dollars for three months of work we're paying our actors six hundred dollars a day and and it was like we all of our overhead was covered we were all making money and we got to tell our stories but then there's just there's just something about being in the space. There's something. But you said it so I didn't have to. There's something about the high wire <laughs> act. There's something about having a group of people in front of you who are embodying these humans and telling these stories. And we're all there and we're elbow to elbow. And it's, and you know, everyone is sweating through their costumes and everyone in the audience is sweating through their shorts but you're just holding your breath because at any second, the whole thing might fall apart. And at any second, something magical might happen. And you- That is exactly why I go to the theater. I'm glad you yeah. said that. That is exactly the reason. I always tell people I'm always in the theater because I love that I could ruin it at any moment. And, there's a, and so could anything else. There's a way that all of us being in that space together, all of us, like the three of us and you and everybody who has seen our shows and everybody who gathers like at the crane or under St. Mark's or 59 59 or whatever, there's a reason that we're all there. And I think it's the same reason that like my mom's family shows up to church every Sunday with their kids, whether or not they really think that, you know, that Jesus is a part of their lives. It's just, it's being elbow to elbow with a bunch of people in a room while someone talks about great ideas. And there's no, there is no replacing that. Like on our, our current plans right now are surviving the pandemic and um, finding a way to fulfill our contractual obligations. But what is insane is that when the whole audio thing started, we were like, oh my God, if we make money doing audio, then we don't have to beg people for donations to put on live theater. <laughs> it didn't occur to us that this was that this was a thing unto itself. And like, no right, matter right. what, in the back of our heads, getting in front of people and getting everybody in a room is, is it's, precious to us it's it's sacred to us and we're we're never gonna we're never gonna be gone completely um right now our plans are just survival like right as i mean that's what it is for everybody that totally makes sense i love that answer sean because uh if you hadn't have said something to that effect i was just gonna throw this interview in the trash <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding but i was i was a little worried there for a moment i was like is he just gonna say why the hell are any of you people who are listening to this indie theater podcast listening to the indie theater podcast no it's like, exactly you said, you said it so beautifully like we all need to get back in that room at some point i love the title of the show i mean go see a show is exactly what we want to do it's what everybody should be told to do i keep thinking how the next little tiny one that i when the, the when they the tiny theaters are 
function the next one i see i it's like, honestly the quality is just not even gonna the innate quality of whatever play it is isn't gonna matter because i'm gonna be so happy to be there um I mean, I think probably some of the most likely stuff that we that you might expect to see from us as theaters reopen. I mean, I don't know exactly how that scheduling is going to work. Um, you know, we we still like to do very small scale plays that we take to the Cincy Fringe Festival and didn't do for a couple nights of the Brick. Um, uh, and if I if I manage to write one, we we may well explore doing one of those next year. But then I think what may what may begin to happen more regularly, if we can find a way to make it work, and again, depending on how things go with theaters, is that uh, we would love to um, sort of augment and expand the audio shows with um, uh, with with some live performances. Uh, like um, we'd love to have some shows that could have. We did an interesting thing with Steel the Stars, where we did a uh, at the at the Brooklyn Podcast Festival, where we did a live prequel like involving prequel. several of the yeah. the yeah yeah. And um, we'd like to look. I mean, uh, some of the shows we have out this round, and maybe don't have a, an opening for that, but we uh, but maybe some do. And I we just haven't thought of them yet. But I do think we would love to do live supplements to the audios. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, um, in order to kind of uh, expand those universes, offer more and yeah, and just keep that live performing flame alive because that is our first love. Uh, it's why I do this thing. So, and it's why I'm so grateful that you three fine, amazing <laughs> artists were willing to jump on the Zoom with me and hopefully uh, knock on my, my wooden kitchen table Pleasure. here. The next time we do this, it'll be around a beer again uh, in the same room. So um, thank you for some beautiful work uh, for uh, the I guess, privilege of uh, being quote unquote media and getting to hear it a little early. So thank you for uh, those sneak peeks that I was able to take a listen to because I can't wait for everybody to hear all this stuff. It's awesome. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was beautiful. Thank you so much. You guys rock. Take care. Be well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you once again, Sean, Jordana, and Mac for your insights, for taking the time, and for such wonderful and free content for our ears. And a special thank you to Sean for making sure we got this recording. As Mac noted, the day this episode of Go See a Show drops on June 25th, 2021, you can hear Gideon Media's production of Wallace Shawn's The Designated Mourner, directed by Andre Gregory, in full. So check out gideon-media.com to listen or search The Designated Mourner in your podcatcher of choice. Then, of course, they've got four more shows coming at you this summer. The other Wallace Shawn play, Grasses of a Thousand Colors, will premiere on July 9th. Then Max 3 plays will drop weekly, Give Me Away on July 16th, The Earth Moves in two parts on August 13th and 20th, and finally God of Obsidian premieres on August 27th and will be released in three parts. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please like it. Facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. My name is Robert A.K. Gainio. You can find me on the internet at robertgainio, G-O-N-Y-O dot com. Until next time, because you can again, go see a show.